Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, so this morning, I want to take you back to the fall of 2017. Uh, I was in my third year of seminary, which is my internship year or my vicarage year, as it's often called, and I've talked about it a few times before. Uh, it was the year that I spent living and uh, serving a congregation just outside of Denver, Colorado. And while I was there, I learned a lot of things about ministry and about life, and it was a really formational time in my life. And I got to be involved in a lot of different ministry opportunities there, and yet uh, some of my most memorable times and my formational times were done in a place that you might not expect. In fact, if you saw it, you'd probably think it was nothing more than a utility closet. However, I became, uh, I come to knew it as uh, the weight room, as that was how I affectionately referred to it. Uh, see, uh, my supervisor there and one of the senior pastors over the years had begun collecting different types of weight training equipment. And every time he got something, a member would donate or something along those lines, he would put it in this little room. And so over time, he had kind of formed this little weight room. But when I tell you it looked like a utility closet, I mean it. Uh, we had a bench press pressed up against the wall, and then we had a leg press, but in order to use it, you had to lay underneath an air conditioning duct. It was interesting, to say the least, but it was a good place to work out, and there was a stair climber and some free weights, and there was even a bench that we would take out and put in the hallway of the school in order to be able to work out when we needed that bench, too. And uh, interestingly, I learned from a very early phase, uh, one of the things he told me was that if I missed a workout or skipped a workout, I would be publicly shamed. And yes, I had to experience that on more than one occasion. However, for the most part, I didn't miss too many workouts. Uh, every Monday and Thursday at 2 o'clock, that is what we did. We went into the weight room, and we lifted weights, and we worked out together. And then after a while, we kind of, of course, began to talk. Uh, and uh, those moments were so formational, so memorable to me. And I remember uh, one of the first things he said, kind of our first time in the weight room, he needed to establish that this was a place of trust. First off, because whatever we said in that room was staying between him and I, uh, that we could trust one another with whatever we said there and it wouldn't leave that space. And then, of course, secondarily, but perhaps equally as important, we had to trust one another because when we were lifting weights, we needed to make sure that one of us would be there to kind of watch over, or as it's called in weightlifting, spotting the other person, right? In case we were on the bench and the weight got too heavy, we had to be able to trust that the other person would be there to lift the weight up off our chest. And yes, I had quite a few times where I did not get the weight off of my chest. But uh, my supervisor was there every single time, and he helped me get the weight off my chest. And so over time, I began to feel better about lifting weights and challenged myself to put more weight on the bar. And any time I couldn't get it up, every single time he was there. And I began to realize that just because I could trust him, just the simple fact that I could trust him and he could trust me changed the dynamic of our relationship, both inside the weight room and outside of it as well. And if you've been with us for the past few weeks, uh, you know that we've been walking through this sermon series talking about bodybuilding and, and focusing on uh, building up the body of Christ, both as, of course, a literal way, which I took it this morning, but even more so in the physical way we interact with one another. And this morning, we're going to be talking about something that uh, you may not have realized it, but has been building up in your life since quite very early, uh, I would say, since you were born, in fact. Now, this morning, uh, we're going to talk about something that I would say is foundational 
to every relationship that you have ever been a part of or will ever be a part of. And no, I'm not talking about working out, though that is important too. This morning, uh, we are going to explore something that uh, many of us have had experiences with and some each and every day. This morning, we're going to talk about trust. And we're going to explore what trust looks like, both the value of trust in the body of Christ, our ability and our need to trust one another, and to be trustworthy. So if you think about uh, the body of Christ in a very physical way, I would say that uh, if I was picking out different organs in the body and we started with the heart, our faith is at the heart of our body. It's at the heart of everything that we do. It is what helps us to live and breathe and move. And so in the body of Christ, our heart is our faith. But then right after that, perhaps the second most important organ, I would say, is our brain. Uh, the place where we make all of our decisions, our control center, so to speak. And I would say that that is where our trust is. In fact, I think uh, this is why Lutheran theologian Martin Luther, when uh, writing the small catechism and talking about the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, in his explanation for that, when you ask what does that mean, Luther says, we should fear, love, and trust God above all things. Confirmands, you should know that. You'll be tested soon. But we should fear, love, and trust God above all things, essentially saying that trust is vital in our relationship with God, and therefore, it's vital in our relationship with one another as well. And I don't know about you, but when I hear that word trust, I have all different kinds of emotions and feelings and, and thoughts about it. Some are good, some are bad, some are kind of stuck in the middle somewhere. And I think part of that is because of something that uh, Bruce Hartung, who, the author of the book Building Up the Body of Christ, in which this sermon series is based off of, something that he says in his book when, when talking about trust, especially how we learn to think about trust. He says this, this is not classroom learning. It is powerful learning born of experience. Essentially, uh, what I take that to mean is the clearest way that we learn to trust is through experience. And at the same time, the clearest way uh, we learn to be mistrusting or to distrust is also through experience. And I think uh, this actually sets us up well to hear the words that Jesus said for us this morning, right? Uh, when Jesus says, whoever is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and whoever is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. See, uh, if you've ever been around little kids before, you know that once they get to a certain age, one of the things they love to do is jump off of stuff, whether it's a bed or a couch or a slide or a swing. And yet, uh, especially when they're younger, when they jump off, they always want to have someone catch them on the other side. And usually, the person that is going to catch them is someone that they trust. When they take that first jump and you catch them, they begin to trust you. And uh, not necessarily in the way that they're thinking about it, but you notice that over time they get more comfortable. They begin to laugh every time they jump and every time that you catch them. And then, of course, as that grows, right, they get a little bit more daring. Sometimes they jump with their eyes closed or maybe they jump backwards. Or, of course, for some reason, every kid's favorite, jumping when you're not paying attention and landing somewhere that's a little bit uncomfortable. But ultimately, that is because they trust you. Every time that they have jumped, you catch them. And that is building up this sense of trust. They have trusted you with a little bit, and then they will trust you with more. 
But I think we also all know that all it takes is one drop, uh, one missed catch, one fall, one bumped head, one bruised elbow or scraped knee, and the experience of mistrust enters in. Perhaps uh, the next time they go to jump, they're a little bit more hesitant about it. Or uh, they're even a little bit afraid, and maybe they don't even jump at all. And again, we don't realize this as kids, and yet I think it all makes sense to us now that uh, we see how these small moments create experiences of trust and mistrust, even from a very early age. And then, of course, life goes on, and as time goes on, we begin to experience more and more moments of trust and mistrust in all of our relationships. Not to mention, of course, we experience trust and mistrust in the world around us. And uh, we get a lot of different worldviews about what trust looks like in our lives. And this morning, I want to talk about two worldviews because uh, they seem to inform us and it's not always the best thing. Uh, first off, I want to start with the well-known Russian proverb, dovrdyai no proverdyai, or as we know it in English, trust but verify. Right? Uh, yeah, everyone's like, oh, yeah, I speak English, not Russian. Thank you, Pastor. I don't speak Russian either. Uh, but uh, you hear trust but verify, right? Uh, the first time that this was really heard and became popular was in the mid-1980s when uh, President Reagan said it in uh, some conversations with the Russian government talking about nuclear disarmament. And if you think about it, it then kind of became common phrase that, that when you were talking to someone about trusting, you know, that, that phrase, trust but verify. It's familiar to many of us. But when you break down that proverb, when you take it apart, you begin to realize that that proverb isn't actually about trust at all, right? Because generally speaking, if you tell someone, I trust you, you're not adding any sort of, of caveat or additional statement. If you trust someone, then there's no need to, to verify what's going on. So uh, the moment you say trust but verify, you don't actually trust them. It's like, trust, but I just need to make sure that I really can trust you. That's not trust, right? But of course, that was 35 years ago when that proverb kind of became popular in culture. And yet I've recently heard of another worldview about trust that is perhaps more relevant to all of our lives. Now, the place in which I heard it was Facebook. And yes, I know the irony of talking about trust and social media. I get it. However, the person that I saw share this worldview is someone that I trust because of my relationship with him. In fact, uh, it's a person that many of you have heard preach here at St. Andrew before. While sharing an article about a recent study done uh, about Facebook posts, the Reverend Dr. John Nunes said this, to verify precedes trust in the digital world. To verify precedes trust in the digital world. The world in which we live today is a digital world. We are connected by technology that is so incredible. There are so many wonderful and incredible uses of it, but I can't help but see that it's also broken down a lot of trust in our lives. In fact, if you go back to 2012, there was a TV show created, uh, and uh, this TV show, the whole premise, the host of it, was basically, uh, he, he got to create the show because he wrote a documentary about his life. And it was a situation in which he had met a woman online and they talked for a few years. And then when they finally went to meet, even though they'd shared pictures and things like that, she wasn't who she said she was. In fact, she was a completely different person. And he couldn't believe it. 
And uh, interestingly, this show has now gone on for eight years. 47 different episodes, 47 different people in which the same story has happened over and over and over again. And every time the host makes it a point to mention that this doesn't even cover the hundreds of thousands of stories he's received over the eight years of people not being able to trust someone on the other side of the screen. And I mean, I don't think all, all I really need to say if we're talking about trust or mistrust, that is, is fake news. Right? Uh, fake news is a, is a phrase that everyone uses nowadays. We approach everything with a little bit of sense of, oh, I don't know if I really believe that. What's it going to take for that? It makes sense that in our digital world today, we need to verify things before we trust them. But, I mean, think about that. Right? In just three and a half decades, the worldview on trust has gone from trust but verify to verify and then trust. The former, which of course is saying, trust, but I got to make sure of it. And the latter, which says, I don't trust you until I can prove it. Neither of which is a good solution for building one another up. And certainly neither is a good option for building trust. So where do we turn in a world where we know our trust will be broken? And where we will break one another's trust? We look to the one that we know we can trust. We look to God, right? Uh, we look to God to see that every moment in our lives, he is faithful. And his faithfulness is constantly on display in our lives. His faithfulness reminds us that we can trust him. In fact, every week when we come to worship, we trust God to forgive us. We hear those words from 1 John that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and forgives us of all of our sins. Every single time we ask God for forgiveness, he forgives. We trust in that promise of forgiveness. And I love what the psalmist writes in Psalm 139. He says, where can I go from your presence? Where can I go from your spirit or, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. The psalmist is speaking about where can he go away from God? How can he get away? And God is with him everywhere that he goes. If he goes to heaven, God is there. If he goes to the depths of hell, God is there with him. He says, if I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. You can trust in God to be with you always. Even in the depths of despair, even when you sleep at night, as Psalm 4 says, we put our trust in the Lord and in peace, I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. You can trust in God to be there for you and to be there with you. Even if death were to take you in your sleep, it has still not won. Because in the same way that God rose his son from death, from sleep, he will one day raise you. God is faithful and he is the one that you can trust. And if you ever want to verify it, you don't have to. You can take him at his word, but if you want to, you can. In fact, God wants us to see his faithfulness. He's given us his word to read about it, to see over and over and over again, no matter how many times the people of Israel turn away from him, no matter how many times we turn away from God, he is faithful. 
We can trust in God, and His faithfulness is on display, perhaps most clearly, through Jesus. In Jesus, God demonstrates His faithfulness. He, he demonstrates His faithful love to us. He demonstrates His faithful mercy to us, His faithful grace to us, that He has been faithful since the beginning of creation, through the sending of His Son, through His death, and then His resurrection, that God is faithful, that His faithful love goes on and on. It was shown to all those who believe in Him. They will never perish, but will have eternal life. That is God's promise to us, that God is faithful, He has been faithful, and He always will be faithful. That is who our God is, and we can trust in Him. Amen? As believers, then, as ones who are called to trust in God above all things, we're invited into a life in which we trust. A life in which we build habits of trusting one another and develop habits of being trustworthy. And our depth of trust, our sense of trust is not built all at once, it's not given all at once, but instead with one moment at a time, one experience at a time with a little bit so that one day we can trust each other with a lot. And when our trust is broken, and it will be broken, when we break one another's trust, we confess it. We ask for forgiveness, first before God, because we know that we can trust in his forgiveness, and then we confess to one another, and we seek out that forgiveness and the restoration that God can bring, the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ to redeem even our broken trust, to know that as we trust in him, we then grow in our relationship and our trust with one another. And we see that in our daily lives, as we build up the body of Christ, Indeed, in every day, trust works both ways. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.